Well, good morning to you on this January the 9th. We're glad to have you with us today, uh, the second Sunday of 2022. Well, say we are returning to our study of the book of Daniel after several weeks of Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's themed messages. And we come today in our study of Daniel to chapter 8. Uh, before we read this interesting chapter, we need to look at a couple of verses in chapters 4 and 5 to remind ourselves of several truths about the character of God. You will remember that God has placed Daniel in an incredible position in the kingdom of Babylon. He's one of the highest ranking government officials in one of the most powerful empires in the world of his day. God has blessed him and opened amazing doors of opportunity for him to proclaim the knowledge of the true and living God. In chapter 4, you may remember, for those of you who've been with us uh, last fall as we looked at the, uh, our studies in the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that God is going to judge him until he recognizes that God rules in the kingdom of men. Here in Daniel chapter 4, let me find the verse here for you. Daniel says to him, <clears throat> He said, you, you will, uh, they will wet you with the dew of heaven. In other words, he's going to be out living like an animal. They're going to drive you from men. Your dwelling will be with the beasts of the field. You'll eat grass like oxen. They'll wet you with the dew of heaven. And seven times or seven years will pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And that's exactly what happened. After seven years of judgment, Nebuchadnezzar gets it. And in that great chapter there, and uh, down in verse 34 and 35, when Nebuchadnezzar begins writing about this himself, he says, And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? Nebuchadnezzar got it. He recognized the authority and power and sovereignty of God, and he realized that he was just a king. Many years later, Nebuchadnezzar's son, probably his grandson, Belshazzar, gets a powerful sermon from Daniel regarding who the true and living God really is. Daniel reminds Belshazzar of what God did to Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter 5, he says to him, He says, but you, his son, the Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. In other words, he says, Belshazzar, you knew what God did to your grandfather. You knew that story. You were well aware of what happened to him. You knew all this, but he said, you have not humbled your heart. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of, uh, of his house before you. You and your lords, your wives, and your concubines, you have drunk wine from them. You have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And he says, and the God who holds your breath 
in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. So add to this all of these great reminders of, of who God is, and then we remember, as I've mentioned to you before, that fulfilled prophecy is one of the great proofs of the truth of the Scripture and the reality of who God is. We keep coming back repeatedly to these four great truths about God. One is that God is sovereign. He has ruling authority over His universe. Secondly, we see that God is omnipotent. He has all power to bring to pass whatever He wants to bring to pass. God is omniscient. He is meaning He is all-knowing. He knows everything about everything. He knows the past, the present, and the future. He knows the possibilities. He has all knowledge. And then fourthly, God is eternal. He is not bound by time. He operates outside the limits of time. He actually created time when He created the earth. We have elaborated on all these things in past studies, so we won't repeat all of that information again today. But all of these attributes of God blend together in the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. God can tell us what is going to happen in the future because He's eternal. He doesn't have to wait for it to happen in order to know what is going to happen because He isn't operating within the limits of time. He knows what is going to happen because He has planned what is going to happen. He has all power to make it happen and the sovereign right to make it happen because this is His universe. He created it, He owns it, He rules it, and as Nebuchadnezzar said 2,500 years ago, He does His will in heaven's armies and among all of us earth dwellers, and nobody can restrain His hand or question what He's doing. Daniel reminded Belshazzar that God holds our breath in His hands and He owns all our ways, so we'd better be glorifying Him. He's eternal, He's all-knowing, He's all-powerful, and He's sovereign. And we must not forget that wonderful, powerful, defining passage of Scripture in the book of Isaiah chapter 46 and verses 9 through 11, where Isaiah writes, he's actually speaking, God speaks to him specifically this way, and God says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, I will do all my pleasure. Indeed, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass, I have purposed it, I also will do it. So when we come to Daniel 8, we see all of these attributes of God on full display. Interestingly, when Daniel was writing his book way back in chapter 2 and verse 4, he switched languages from Hebrew to Persian. I'm sorry, Hebrew to Aramaic, the official government language of Babylon and Persia and Assyria, as well as being a widely spoken common language of that region of the world. And Daniel wrote in Aramaic from chapter 2 and verse 4 all the way through chapter 7. What he was writing was obviously of great interest, or should have been of great interest, to anyone in the Babylonian or Persian empires, not just the Jewish people. But here in chapter 8, 
he switches back to Hebrew and he writes the remainder of his book in Hebrew. So we can assume that chapters 8 through 12 of Daniel are going to be more closely related to matters concerning Jewish people. In chapter 8, Daniel focuses on the Gentile world powers and how they will precisely impact the Jewish nation over the next few hundred years. Chronologically, chapters 7 and 8 fit in between chapter 4 and chapter 5. God gave Daniel the vision he records in chapter 7 during the first year of the reign of Belshazzar. The vision of chapter 8 comes in the third year of Belshazzar's reign, and of course the events of chapter 5 record the last day of Belshazzar's 11-year reign. So chapter 7 and 8 actually fit right in between chronologically between chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Daniel. Now what makes the timing of the vision significant is that God gives Daniel an amazingly precise prophecy of the next 400 years of Middle Eastern history, as it relates to the Jews specifically. Although Daniel did not understand all that he was seeing, we can see from our vantage point 2,500 years later exactly what took place, and we can understand most of this very interesting prophecy. Actually, the angel Gabriel explained to Daniel a significant part of the vision right in this chapter. So let's read it. Daniel and chapter 8. We're going to read the entire chapter, and then we'll kind of take it apart a piece at a time, and we will explain to you to the best of our ability what this chapter is all about. Daniel 8. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time, he's talking about the one in chapter 7 that came two years prior to this one. I saw in the vision, and it so happened while I was looking that I was in Shushan, the citadel which is in the province of Elam, a citadel meaning a fortified city. I was in Shushan, the citadel which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in the vision that I was by the river Uli. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and there, standing beside the river, was a ram, which had two horns, and two horns were high. And one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward, so that no animal could withstand him, nor was there any that could deliver from his hand, but he did according to his will, and he became great. And as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west, across the surface of the whole earth, without touching the ground. And the goat had a notable horn, or a significant horn, between his eyes. And then he came to the ram that had the two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river, and ran at him with furious power. And I saw him confronting the ram, and he moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, and broke his two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore the male goat grew very great, but when he became strong the large horn was broken, and in place of it four notable horns came upward uh, toward the four winds of heaven, and out of one of them came a little horn which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land, also translated in some places the beautiful land, uh, meaning Israel is speaking of. 
And it grew up to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that certain one who was speaking, How long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices of the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For two thousand three hundred days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Then it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. This is the angel Gabriel. And when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. Now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. In other words, Daniel was almost unconscious. But he touched me and stood me upright. And he said, Look, what I am making known to you, or I am making known to you, what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation. For at the appointed time the end shall be. The ram which you saw, having two horns, they are the kings of Media and Persia. And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. The large horn that is between its eyes is the first king. But for as for the broken horn and the four that stood in its place, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power, he shall destroy fearfully, he shall prosper and thrive, he shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Through his cunning he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, he shall exalt himself in his heart, he shall destroy many in their prosperity, he shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means. And the vision of the evenings and the mornings which was told is true. Therefore seal up the vision for it refers to many days in the future. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterward I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. <laughs> if you're totally lost, hang on. It actually makes incredible sense historically, and, and uh, there's a lot in this chapter. We'll cover most of it today, and Lord willing, the rest of it next week. But Daniel was transported in this vision to the city of Shushan, to a fortified palace. And interesting, in, in Daniel's day, at this time, uh, Shushan, also known as Susa, was an insignificant city on the outer edges of the Babylonian Empire, about 250 miles from Babylon. But after the Persians overran the Babylonian Empire, Shushan grew to become the center of the Persian Empire. About 75 years after this vision, Queen Esther lived in the palace at Shushan. 
About a hundred years after this vision, Nehemiah served the Persian king at the palace of Shushan. But during Daniel's day, Shushan was a relatively insignificant city on the banks of the river Ulai. Today, it's in western Iran, near Iran's border with Iraq. But in this vision, Daniel sees a ram with two horns, standing by the river Ulai, which we know, the angel Gabriel said, that's Persia and the Medes, and it's pushing west, north, and south, and no one could stand up to it. He did whatever he wanted, and he became powerful. And the horn that came up later, the Persian horn on this ram, uh, kind of overtook the, the, the horn of the Medes. And so we know that this ram represents Persia and the, the, the kings of the Medes and the Persians. And that kingdom lasted for about 200 years, a little over 200 years. Then Daniel sees this billy goat come roaring in from the west, traveling so fast that he doesn't even touch the ground, and he has one significant horn between his eyes. And he comes to the ram standing beside the river Uli and basically beats the daylights out of him. He knocks him to the ground, he breaks his two horns, and he stomps on him. The billy goat becomes very strong, but at the peak of his strength, his dominant horn breaks, and four horns rise up in its place. One, out of one of the horns grows a little horn, which grows strong toward the southeast and toward the glorious land, or the beautiful land of Israel. <coughs> the little horn is going to persecute God's people, the Jews. He is going to exalt himself as though he was as high as God. He is going to destroy the daily sacrifices in Israel. And he's going to prosper while he's doing this. And all of this is going to last for 2,300 days, approximately six years and four months. Then the temple will be cleansed and rededicated to the Lord. Daniel is so overwhelmed with this vision that he collapses. But the angel Gabriel picks him up, tells him that he's going to explain a few things about the end times, the time of the end, he says. And that gives us an interesting clue that there is a double interpretation to this part of the prophecy. There is a near fulfillment, and there is a far away fulfillment. But Gabriel tells Daniel that the ram, as I said, represents the kings of Media and Persia, We've seen those kingdoms spoken of before in earlier visions in Daniel. The Medo-Persian Empire follows the Babylonian Empire. In fact, in less than ten years from this vision, Belshazzar will see the handwriting on the wall, and Daniel will tell him that his kingdom is about to be given to the Medes and the Persians. God already told Daniel on more than one occasion through, through various visions that the, uh, that the empire of the Medes and Persians was going to overrun Babylon. And so when Belshazzar sees the handwriting on the wall, Daniel knows exactly what's about to happen. He says his kingdom is about to be given to the Medes and the Persians. But what will, what will not happen until about 220 years later is that Alexander the Great is going to roar in from the west and he's going to stomp the Persians. The angel Gabriel tells Daniel that the billy goat with the dominant horn is Greece and the horn is its first king. So we know exactly who he's talking about. 
It doesn't happen for over 200 years after Daniel, so Daniel didn't know what was going on. But we know from history, of course, long ago, uh, that Alexander conquered the Persian Empire and everything around it in 12 years. He is that billy goat who was traveling so fast that he doesn't even touch the ground. He had a lightning-fast army, about 35,000 men, relatively small in that day, for the armies of that day. And they traveled so fast, they overran the entire world in 12 years. The entire known world in 12 years. So he suddenly then becomes ill, Alexander the Great does, and he dies at the age of 33. The horn is broken, just as Daniel's prophecy said. His four generals, after 20 years of argument and negotiation, divide Alexander's kingdom four ways, just as Daniel A. said they would. Cassander, one of the generals, he takes the Greek peninsula. Another general named Lysimachus, he takes Asia Minor, which we call today the country of Turkey. Ptolemy, the, another general, takes Egypt and Arabia and North Africa, and Seleucus takes everything else, the Middle East, all the way to the edge of India. Just a little bit of historical trivia. Ptolemy had a famous descendant named Cleopatra. Actually, she was Cleopatra VII, the one that we are well aware of. She had affairs with Julius Caesar and Mark Antony, and most of us know that story because of the 1963 movie with Elizabeth Taylor as Cleopatra, the last Greek queen of Egypt before the Romans conquered them. And why was there a Greek queen of Egypt? Because Alexander the Great's general Ptolemy took that portion of Alexander's empire. And about nine generations later, along comes Cleopatra VII, immortalized in the famous Hollywood film from the 1960s played, of course, by Elizabeth Taylor. I wonder if Elizabeth Taylor ever studied Daniel chapter 8. Probably not. But in verse 23, it becomes even more interesting. When, he, when the angel says, or when this vision says, in the latter times of their kingdoms, that is, the four lesser kings who followed Alexander the Great, that is, <coughs> excuse me, near the end of the reign of the Greeks, near the latter times of their kingdoms, there's going to be another king who will arise who is fierce and sinister and destructive. He's going to be mighty, but this vision says, not by his own power. <clears throat> he will destroy many of the Jewish people. He will rise up against God. He will be broken, but not by other humans, not by human hands. God's going to break him. And what's fascinating about this is that in Daniel's vision, this, this fierce, sinister king is described as a little horn rising out of another horn, as it said in verse 9. Let me get my page turned back. I'll read it to you again. And out of one of them, out of the four horns, came a little horn which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land, toward the beautiful land of Israel. This little horn designation uh, sounds a lot like the description of the Antichrist in chapter 7 and the description of the Antichrist in the book of Revelation. 
But nearly 400 years after Daniel's vision, a king arose in Syria, a descendant of Alexander's general Seleucus, who fits this description. His name was Mithridates, but he took the name Antiochus IV when he ascended to the throne. He ruled for about 11 years, but shortly after he took the throne, he started calling himself Antiochus Epiphanes, which means Antiochus God-Manifest. He was claiming to be God, just as this passage said he would. He was eccentric, he was cruel, he was wicked, he was arrogant. In fact, there is a historian of his day, and some of the Jewish people in their writings, they called him Antiochus Epimenes, instead of Antiochus Epiphanes, meaning God manifest, they, they, they changed the name, kind of a play on words. They called him Antiochus Epimenes, which means he's a madman, he's a lunatic. And after being shamed by the Romans, he was on his way to march to take some more land, and the Roman army, and a, or a delegation from the Roman army came and said, you know, we're giving you an opportunity to not get wiped out, Antiochus Epiphanes, as you call yourself. So just turn around and go back where you came from before you meet the Roman army and get killed. Don't cross this line. And actually, they drew a line in the sand. That's where we get that name, draw a line in the sand. It actually goes all the way back to this time where the Romans were, were standing face to face with Antiochus Epiphanes. And they said, if you cross over that line, we're going to attack and we're going to wipe you out. Antiochus thought for a moment, and he turned around and went back where he came from. And after being somewhat shamed by the Romans by that uh, little bit of humiliation, he turned his wickedness toward the Jews, demanding that they stop the temple sacrifices, forbidding them from following the law of Moses. It is reported that he slaughtered 80,000 Jews and sold 40,000 more into slavery. He went into the temple and he sacrificed a pig on the altar, throwing its blood and its entrails all over the Holy of Holies. A few years later, after years of persecution and desecration of everything holy to the Jews, Antiochus sent one of his officials to a small town just outside Jerusalem, demanding that everyone bow down to a statue of Jupiter, which was the chief Greek god. Zeus to the Romans, Jupiter to the Greeks. An elderly priest was there, a godly man named Mattathias. When the first Jew came to bow down to that altar, to that statue of Jupiter, he drew his sword and he killed him. Then Mattathias the priest grabbed a spear and he killed Antiochus as official. Then he called for a revolt, a rebellion against Antiochus, and a segment of the Jewish people rose up in revolution, fighting uh, guerrilla warfare style for, for many, many years. Uh, Mattathias was elderly, and he died before they won, but he passed the torch of leadership to his son, Judas Maccabeus, which means the hammer, Judas the hammer. And this is called in Jewish history the Maccabean Revolt. Antiochus Epiphanes threatened to uh, turn the entire city of Jerusalem into a cemetery. 
But on his way to, to Jerusalem, he fell ill with a terrible abdominal disease, and history records that he died in agony, believing God had smitten him, the God of the Jews had smitten him with this disease. Just as our passage said, he was a madman, he was eccentric, he was demonically inspired, he was powerful, but not by his own power, and he would be taken down, but not with human hands. God took him down. Eventually, the Jews won their independence. And after they had captured, recaptured Jerusalem, Judas Maccabeus had the temple cleansed and reconsecrated the temple. Remember, Antiochus Epiphanes had slaughtered a pig on the altar and had thrown its blood and its entrails all over the Holy of Holies. So Judas Maccabeus had the temple cleansed, he reconsecrated the temple. The ceremony to rededicate the temple was to last for eight days. But they realized they only had one day's worth of olive oil to burn in the golden lampstand, the menorah as we call it today. Miraculously, even with one day's olive oil, one day's worth of olive oil, the oil in the golden lampstand, the menorah, burned for eight days. The temple was rededicated to the Lord, and in honor of that miraculous eight days of light in the temple, with one day's worth of oil, the Jews began celebrating what they called the Festival of Lights, that you and I may know as Hanukkah, means rededication. And that occurs during our Christmas season every year. Actually, you know, the New Testament mentions Jesus observing Hanukkah, in John chapter 10, verse 22, they called it in that passage, the Feast of Lights, or the Feast of Dedication. So Jesus actually observed uh, Hanukkah in, in, after the temple, which was in honor of this, that occurred about 150 years before Christ. Well, Antiochus began his persecution of the Jews in about September of 170 B.C., Judas Maccabeus rededicated the temple in December of 164 B.C., about six years and four months later. Remember the 2,300 days of verses 13 and 14? When, when, they were, when the, the angel asked, How long will these daily sacrifices and transgression of desolation, the giving of the sanctuary and the host, to be trampled underfoot? How long will that last? He said, 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Well, that 2,300 days is about six years and four months. So this prophecy appears to identify the length of time of Antiochus' persecution of the Jews. And God told Daniel all about this 400 years before it happened. He told them the Persians were going to come. He told them that Greece was going to overrun them and stomp them into the ground. He told them that the, at the height of his power, that Alexander the Great, that notable horn in the, in the head of the billy goat, was going to be broken, that, that his kingdom was going to be divided four ways, that, that one of them, the one Seleucus, who, who took, who took uh, the, uh, the part of the Middle East where Israel was, was going to have a descendant, a king, later in their kingdom, when the Greek kingdom was just about over, and it was, it was on its way out. When, when Antiochus Epiphanes arose, 
He told them he was going to persecute the Jews. He told them how long it was going to last. He told them what he was going to do. He told them how he was going to die. God told Daniel all about it 400 years before it happened. Our God is sovereign. Our God is omnipotent. Our God is omniscient. Our God is eternal. He knows the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things that are not yet done. I have spoken it, I will also do it, he says. I have purposed it, I will also bring it to pass. What, what a precise, accurate, definitive prophecy that God gave to Daniel. What amazing precision, hundreds of years in advance. And there's much more to this vision that we did not have time to explore today, which we will examine next week, Lord willing. But do you think that God doesn't know what's happening in our country? Do you think He doesn't know what's happening in our world? Do you think He doesn't know what's happening in your personal life? Oh, He knows. And He cares. And He's involved. And He's overseeing it all. He is sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, and eternal, and His purposes are being fulfilled in our nation, in this world, in your life, and in my life. His purposes are being fulfilled. As He said in Isaiah 46, I have spoken it, I will also do it. I have purposed it, I will also bring it to pass. When shadows fall and the night covers all, there are things that my eyes cannot see. I never fear, for my Savior is near. My Lord abides with me. When I'm alone and I face the unknown, and I fear what the future may be, I can depend on the strength of my friend. He walks along with me. Jesus is King. He controls everything. He is with me each night and each day. I trust my soul to the Savior's control. He drives all fear away. How can I fear? Jesus is near. He ever watches over me. Worries all cease. He gives me peace. How can I fear with Jesus? Great words of a song written by Ron Hamilton. How can I fear with Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, if we look around at this world, there's a lot to be concerned about. A lot of things we can worry about over the future. We may be headed for some very troublesome times. In many ways, uh, many folks are right in the midst of troublesome times right now. People all around the world, various trouble and hardships, and heartaches, and sicknesses, and all sorts of things taking place in our world. But Lord, we know that you know the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things that are not yet done. You have spoken it, you have purposed it, you are going to bring it to pass. If you could tell Daniel, in a vision, what was going to happen for the next 400 years relating to the children of Israel, right down to the detail of who was going to be the king and 
when he was going to come and who was going to win this battle and who was going to lose this battle and how his kingdom was going to be divided and when the wicked king is going to arise and what he's going to do. You told Daniel all of that 400 years before it ever took place. And it happened just exactly as you said it would. So Lord, we can trust you. We can rely on you, even when we don't understand. Just as Daniel didn't understand all the details of what God was showing him, it was so upsetting to him. He was sick for days. And yet he understood God was revealing the future. Lord, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen next next week. We don't know what's going to happen in this year of 2022. But we know the God who is in control. We're thankful, Father, that we can sing that song that Ron Hamilton wrote, How Can I Fear? Jesus is Near. How Can I Fear with Jesus? Lord, may we move forward in this year with great courage, great fortitude, trusting God, regardless of what may happen, regardless of the troubles that may come our way, because we know that you are the sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient, eternal God. And if we know you as our Savior, we have nothing to fear. Help us, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.